Welcome to our new podcast, In the Hunt, powered by Gameforge. Oliver, Oliver Bailey's. In so the we'll house. see. We'll see what kind of chaos he gets into during the presentation today. <laughs> um, but here we're. Uh, Mark's here. We're uh, doing some data work. Met the team that was working with us this semester, and uh, seems like a really cool project coming up. Very, very cool project. Lots of good uh, skunk works as always. We're we're doing things that uh, you'll find out about in a few months. Um, but super excited for it. I uh, got a great team working on it from University of Virginia, and I cannot wait to see the results. Again, if they can pull off half of what they talked about, <laughs> it will be giddy. They pull off yeah. 100%, man, it'll be, uh, it's going to be some good times here uh, in the coming months. <laughs> yeah, with, uh, right, 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 right. So uh, hopefully we'll bring it to all of y'all pretty soon. Um, so we're excited about that. And uh, so... This is kind of a fireside chat, so we don't have a, technically a theme or idea we're talking about. More rants and raves and kind of questions we've gotten from <laughs> listeners, coaches, players that we've talked to. Uh, so this would just be kind of a broad, scoping conversation. And I think one of the questions I've gotten the most here over the last couple months from a lot of the touring professionals, because they're traveling all around the country and the world, and they're playing with different grasses. On yeah. the putting green, so we're looking at you know, Mid-Atlantic's. Let's say statewide Mid-Atlantic's. We're looking at bent Poe, North really looking bent Poe, more Poe. You know the west, northwest Poe. All Poe, and then much, yeah. south you start getting Bermudas and some other blends. But but so we'll break it down to the three main ones: bent, um, Bermuda, and Poe. And just kind of uh, since we have the aim point founder and master over here, uh, <coughs> what are his thoughts on the different types of grasses, adjustments need to be made, and things to think about? Uh, yeah, I hear complaints about it all the time, especially if there are players who are used to bent and they get on a different grass time or type, uh, particularly Bermuda, they always uh, complain about because the speed differentials are so different uphill, downhill, there's some grain issues. POA, West Coast people are very used to POA, but it's bumpier, and later in the afternoon it gets more bumpy. Um, I actually did a study on this a long time ago where the afternoon tee times in on POA, on PJ Tour, had worse putting overall stats than the morning tee times like across the board. Um, but as, as a tour player, it's something you gotta, you got to adjust to. Like, you're playing different grasses, you got to learn how to putt and chip and pitch on different grasses, and we've seen that be a problem lately um, where we've had players who were southern players who were used to Bermuda grass and they got on heavy, you know, rye grass or bluegrass rough and had a hard time pitching out of it. So to be a well-rounded player, you got to learn how to play all of them. Um, for me, it, there's no real big mystery to it because I basically grew up doing golf, playing golf, and everything at any point was done on Bermuda grass. So it's, if you understand the effect of Bermuda, it's not a big deal. If you understand the this effective stimp changes sometimes fairly dramatically uphill, downhill, and then the effect grain can have, then it's not that bad of an adjustment at all. And then when I go to uh, bent grass, it's just like, just read your putt and play it. Like there's really no adjustments on bent grass. Yeah. Um, and it's then kind of like the Methodist of churches, right? Yeah. It's right. kind of just, <laughs> it's just there. It's it's right it doesn't cause any problems, it's right there, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and then POA, it can be bumpy, but it, everybody's playing the same green. So there's, there's really nothing you can do. And um, some people say, well, hit, hit it harder on POA, hit it firmer. And I've actually seen that to be a, a mistake because the harder you hit it on POA, the more it actually kind of trampolines off the grass. And I've got yeah. a video of harder putts and softer putts, and the harder ones tend to bounce, bounce, bounce more. Um, but everybody's playing the same conditions. There's really not an adjustment you make for POA other than people complain about it all the time. Yeah. 
could POA change speeds more possibly in the afternoons? Like, could it be a slight setup? I, I don't think dramatically more than any than any other green. It's just it, the way it grows, it tends to just get bumpier. Yeah. Uh, it can be very fast. Like, POA greens can be super fast. If you go out to California or the West Coast in, like, January, February, I mean, they're screaming fast greens out there, yeah. so they're nice like that. Um, and I guess the POA, you just can't. You can't overseed, or you can't put anything. You can't use ryegrass out there because the poet just takes over. No matter what you do, the poet just takes over. So, hardy little. Yeah, so they, yeah, so they just give up and they just, they just go with poet because they can't keep it off the, the course. Yeah. Um, but you've got, but you've got to be able to play all. You've got to be able to adjust to all um, putting in. Like I said, short game. Um, it's just part of the game. That's what you got to do. And, and what would you say to a player that, that just is like losing their marbles? over the grass conditions on the putting. I would tell them to, to, to <laughs> suck it up. You know, it's like, it's like everybody's playing the same grass in the field, so you just, you just gotta go play it. But, you know, I think they lose their marbles because they don't understand the effect of Bermuda for sure. And, um, sorry, <laughs> the chaos has begun. What's up, buddy? Ouch, ouch. And, um... <laughs> All right, Alex. All right, buddy. You being banned already. That took about three minutes. That's it. That didn't take very long. Um, yeah. So there's no there's no point to lose your mind over it. If, if you're if you're complaining and losing your mind over grass types, then you shouldn't be out there. You've lost already. Yeah. You've already lost. Just go out and play it. It's like it's like wind. You know, if it's a windy day, everybody's playing in the wind. Just deal with it. Um, if you don't make as many putts in the afternoon on Bermuda on on Poa, well, nobody else is either. Yeah. Just deal with it. Again, I think it's that understanding of. Understanding that I can control my process of what I'm doing and, and go survive and, and thrive and maybe not make as many putts as you would hope, but knowing that I own the process and I'm going to continue in that and I'm going to keep doing it because uh, all the other people around you complaining about how bumpy they are and how nobody's making any putts, a la the last LPGA event, there's a lot of grief going on because they weren't making nearly as many putts, but that was a hard golf course. Yeah. That was a shot maker's golf course. It was not an easy place. So they couldn't make up for the difficulty of approaches with uh, on the putting green. And, and I think uh, overall they reacted poorly as a collective mass. As a collective mass. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and, and, when, and when enough players start complaining about then even more start complaining Well, it about, gets but. really easy to complain when other people complain. It's really easy. To, it's like Twitter. It's really right, easy to go right. in and, and don't. <laughs> Once somebody opens the door, all, yeah. all of a sudden, here comes 50 pushing through it. So I, I think, again, that, that group think and that group chaos of I need to justify bad putting. And it was, you know, the two of the best putters in the world over here complaining, so I'm going to complain with them. Yeah, and, and, and the fact is with Poe, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. You know, uh, Bermuda, yes, you can make adjustments on Bermuda and be smarter about how you do your reads and how you train your speed on Bermuda. But Poe is Poe. Like it's just, yeah. It just is what it is. Everybody's got to deal with it. You can't fix it. Yeah. You know, like Bermuda, if you understand the effective grain, you can make adjustments and get better reads. That's that's a real competitive advantage, which most people don't understand, frankly, um, but not the case on Poa. Yeah. So I think, again, grass type-wise, I think that'll give you some good understanding of what's going on there. Uh, any other topics uh, you've, you've had questions about? Uh, recently, well, the short game out of out of you know bluegrass or ryegrass versus Bermuda uh, that came up last week with a college tournament. Um, you know, players who were used to if you're used to Bermuda grass and you go heavy, thick kind of mashed potatoey ryegrass, 
rough. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the issue was either chunking it or sculling it. It was it's just a different feel hitting out that deeper, that deeper, heavier grass. You know, what would your advice be for that being a short game guy? Um, the, the funny thing, I think Bermuda, it depends. Bermuda can be a couple inches and your ball sits down and it's, it's a nasty. And I think yeah. the same setup for even if you have a couple inch fescue, the ball sitting down, I think a lot of the setup keys are the same. You've got to get, you know, so I, I think what a lot of players do is they tend to be, the better chippers tend to be shallow. And then once you start putting these weird conditions on them where they have to get steep, they don't understand the process of what they need to do inside of their stroke, whether it's setup, you know, weight changes, grip pressure changes, whatever, whatever they need to do to start to create that down. So I always say that anytime that you're sitting in a couple inches from you and the ball sitting down or in fescue, you gotta start getting that weight a little bit forward. You gotta start bringing that handle forward with you as you bring your weight forward so you can create that descending blow. And then other than that, you shouldn't have to make many more changes unless it's just now it's you know five six inches. Well, that's your head. And that's a different you know now yeah. it's now it's yeah. Do I play a blast? You know then I got to yeah. use lots of hands. And then but again that to me you know if a golf course is set up that way that you've got to be smarter on your approach. Yeah. Like you've got to like once it gets to that deep or that punishing, it's you're out of position. Even if you're just a couple feet off the green, you are literally out of position, right. and you're at the mercy of not being able to control the golf ball. Right. Um, but it, but again, you know, I think for me in the Mid Atlantic, uh, a lot of the golf courses are Bermuda in the summer. They overseed, and then usually the roughs a lot of times are actually fescues, the, the, the northern cold grasses. So I get the best of all kind of worlds. So we get a hot spot. Yeah, practice everything, everything down there. We're pretty much Bermuda all year. Maybe over some some courses overseed in the summer. I mean, in the wintertime uh, with ryegrass, um, but some don't. Yeah, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you get a couple, you three, four inches of fescue, and your ball's it's brutal. It's, it's like a, playing the links course. It's a, diff, <laughs> it's a different game than sitting on a couple inches of Bermuda, because yeah. even even Bermuda, rarely do you sit all the way down inside of it. It's, it's, a, it's a level of, and I think a lot of times, too, I think a, a simple, you know, again, we've got to control low points, so I think just a simple choking up or down on the grip you know, if you ground the club, and I think Bermuda's probably the, the more challenging of the grasses, because when you sit down in fescue, you're usually down at the bottom. You don't usually sit in between. You're, you could be sitting really high on top, or you're sitting all the way down. I think Bermuda, you kind of hit layers. You know, you can sit all the way at the bottom. Yeah, you can fluff it underneath Bermuda. Exactly, so I think a lot of times, just a, a simple thing to do is you ground the club next to it, make sure the ball doesn't move. But you ground the ball and see how far the ball is sitting, or the head club head is sitting below the ball and then just choke up that amount on the grip, and that would put your low point roughly at that point. So you could basically pretend like that is the actual low point yeah, that's good. is. So I think a lot of times when the ball's sitting really fluffy and fescue or if it's sitting fluffy, just understanding that's where you start to see a lot of those chips coming up high on the face, coming out with zero energy. Yep. Uh, so I think it, like, just a simple setup you can kind of change that one. But but no, I'm, I'm a big fan of fescue. It's so much easier than you. Yeah, first time I played fescue was in uh, actually Chambers Bay might have been the first time, but the second one of the first times was Valley Bunyan. Yeah, and the fescue there is like kneecap deep. Well, that's just <laughs> and I and I asked the guys I played with a local member there, and I said, how often do they do they mow the fescue? He's like, ah, oh, like once every seven years, I'll trim it a little bit. And the rule was if you hit your tee shot into the fescue, if you don't see your ball from the tee, you're not finding your ball. It's gone. Don't even bother looking. You're not finding it. And then if you find it. 
Um, you hit the sandwich out. You're basically just pitching it back in the fairway without trying to break your arm. And it's basically a pedal shot. Well, or a disruptor. Yeah. Well, I think this is a good segue into the Ryder Cup coming up this yeah. weekend. We got they're in Wisconsin playing Wisconsin straight, so you're getting a good link. Northern grass. Link C. American links. American links. Uh, so I think this could be an interesting test uh, for some of our players. Let me put my dog inside. Um, so now let's let's think of Ryder Cup. We got the Northern Grasses. Uh, what do you what do you what's your thoughts on the outcomes of, of what we're going to see? Well, Ryder, Ryder Cup uh, historically, the Americans are better on paper and tend not to always capitalize on that. It'd be interesting for a more linksy course. You would think the Europeans would be much more comfortable with that um, overall than the Americans. Um, so I gave up like last couple Ryder Cups. I think last year. I think last time in France. You know, the Americans on paper was a slam dunk uh, to win on paper statistically and obviously didn't. Um, so it's, you know, especially when you come down to match, uh, match play in the final day, the singles, um, it's very heavily dependent on what the matchups actually are, who plays who. Like, it can swing either way pretty hard depending on who actually plays who. So that's where, that's where the, you know, the, the choices, the team captains, choices of who plays who uh, in one position can have a big effect. And it really seems like... Europe always wins early, and then yeah. kind of holds on yeah. in the match play, and it tends. So if the U.S. could ever, ever start off, get, get up, up early, the first just three get up or four. Early. Yeah, the first day just be up, yeah. not be down by like four. Right, <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, if they could just get up, I think it'd be. I, I would love to see the the, uh, the the roles flip, but I think what's also really interesting about this one is the average European age is like mid thirties. And the average U.S. age, I think, for this one is like 28. It's like mid-20s. Yeah, young. And, it, you know, it's like 300 rounds of Ryder Cup experience versus like 60. Wow. So it's, it's, it's the changing of the guard. Uh, we'll see if that's good or bad, I guess. Yeah, well, the, the Europeans seem to get more riled up about the Ryder Cup. Yeah. I don't know if it's just my impression or not, but the Europeans' team tends to come in a little more fired up than the American team tends to historically. Yeah, at least the last two or three Ryder Cups, it seems like. Yeah, they, de- they definitely have a, a different, it seems like it de- they have more, there's more of a team ship, more camaraderie, more fun, yeah. where the Americans tend to be. Choke and play. Choke and play. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah. They're kind of like Americans and versus kind of like <laughs> Europeans, right? What, well, independent, selfish? Yeah, independent, selfish versus the collective? <laughs> nah, we're nah. Gonna We'll see. We'll but, see. but I think it'll be well, all, all those players play with some strength. I mean, they've had DJs there, they've had other events there. I think they've all, yeah, they've all played the course. The US Open there, yeah, he grounded this club in a club in a bunker. I was yeah. there that year. Yeah. So uh, I was there that year, and it absolutely poured rain. I woke up one morning. I was supposed to be at the course at eight o'clock. I woke up um, not feeling like being at the course at eight o'clock. They got some food poisoning. They got some food poisoning. Yes. And I woke up and I was like, Oh my God! You gotta be kidding me. And uh, I looked outside, and it was torrential rain. And I was like, shoo! So I had to go out for like another four hours. But that's my memory of Whistling Straits. That and Dustin Johnson grounding his club. That acute food poisoning coming from... Beer poisoning. From bottles. They're really weird. Exactly. I don't know what happened. But, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. And what are the chances of Brooksy and Bryson getting in a fist fight? I don't know. I don't get the, you know, when Butch was saying, oh, they should play together. I just don't get that. Like, like why? Just because people like like watching it? Like, 
It's not a read like, like that. They're, they're to win. win. Well, if they play like together, if they don't want to play together, like don't play them together. You know what I mean? If they play together, that is a definite reality TV show at that point. Yeah. Well, it should get good ratings, but again, are we out for the ratings or out to win the Ryder Cup? Well, I guess it all depends on who you're interviewing. True. <laughs> True that. So. If you're interviewing the PGA Tour, they'd be like, eh. Yeah, so we'll see. So I'm planning, I'm planning on taking the whole day Sunday and just watching. I'm going to be down at uh, North Carolina at the college. I'm going to go to Frat House. I'm an honorary member. Honorary member. Honorary member. Of, uh, what Frat House? Uh, the Pikes at, at High Point. Okay. So they made me an honorary member. So I'm going to go sit in there and just watch all day Sunday. Nice. Go home Monday. Yeah, the family, my family's going to Virginia Beach this weekend, so I'm going to catch bits and pieces and get them up early Sunday morning so I can sit in front of the TV all Sunday afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my birthday's coming up, so that's my wife goes, what do you want for my birthday? I said, Sunday, sit down and watch the Ryder Cup with not having to do stuff. I'll see if that works. That's the easiest person in the world. Yeah, it never works. <laughs> it never <laughs> works. <laughs> Go do this. This needs to get done. Well, that's what, what I'm doing. doing. <laughs> so, You're welcome to join me. me. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen either. Um, I think as... Uh, I know here in the next couple of weeks uh, we're actually taking this 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 road show on on the road. Um, we're yes. actually going to be in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. I've, I have four presentations the next two weeks. So I've got South Florida PGA, Aimpoint Nashville, um, Game Forge LPGA Conference Nashville. What's the other one? I don't know what's I feel like I've got another one. Obviously, it's it's the way we roll here. Uh, it'll come to me. It'll come to eventually. I need I need time pressure to. Come tomorrow. Yeah, but but the, the the South Florida will be interesting because it's um it's working with tour players. Yeah. Just like what have you learned working with tour players and and I've learned quite a few things. I'm trying to figure out which how much I can put in there and how much you know I got fairly limited time. <laughs> but what what has been your experience working with tour players versus non-tour players versus competitive players or club players? I think. For me, I like the tour player that hasn't achieved yet. I like the one that's working there. Um, that's more of my lifestyle. Um, for the ones that have been very successful, uh, they tend to be a little standoffishy. They very risk averse. They're very risk averse yep. for a very good reason. Yep. Um, but once you gain their trust, um, it's a great relationship. And, and their ability, I think their ability to, for the majority of them, their ability to control their body, understand what you're asking of them as you make changes and, and just get them to think through stuff, the way that they internalize and can apply it, you can tell that they're one percenters. Like, yeah, it, totally. It, it's amazing that you can take a player and do huge pieces, and once they internalize and understand why, how fast they adapt to it, where a lot of amateurs that don't practice as much, don't think about golf as much, it's a much slower, more challenging process. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. doubt. I mean, I've worked with. I mean, they're all they're all athletic. They've all not all, but vast majority have very good fundamentals. So there's not big pieces. At least at least on the putting side, you know, there's not big pieces that need to change. And they don't really want to change big pieces anyway. In my experience, um, I, I think probably the biggest thing I've learned is you've just got to keep it whatever you're teaching as simple as possible. You get overly if you get overly technical, they just puke on it. So you've got to be very simple. One piece at a time. You have to be careful because they've all got little quirks. Like they're fundamentally good, but they've all got their own little quirk. And a lot of those you can't undo. A lot of those you just got to work around it. Like they've been doing it for 20 years the same way. You might not be changing it. You know what I mean? And they might not want to change. Like I've had players that I've had two very good tour players who were left aimers, but they hit it left. They didn't aim left and then 
hit it one degree right, they aim left and hit it left. And they said, well, that's just what we do. We're not going to change it. So then you're kind of stuck. You're like, well, okay. Then you got to put more brake. You know. Yeah. I think I think what I probably the best advice I could give any coach or any player is performance trumps everything. I think you know if you're if you're using some sort of data system and you understand your game, understand what's happening. Performance trumps everything. So you can. Ha- I I used to always say as a coach, that I would I would evaluate a player and I would see something I'd want to change, especially collegiately because you'd see him day in day out. But if they're performing on the golf course, hitting their numbers, helping the team, a lot of times I would just write a note and put it in my back pocket. I wouldn't even mention it. Yeah. Because you knew at some point that piece might be the piece that kind of folds them for a while, and then you go give it to them as they start to fold and say, "Hey, I've seen this. Let's change that." But if they're performing, they're over adapting. Maybe they're, you know, they're let's say in the putting world, maybe their alignments are changing slightly, but they're making putts and they're still performing. And again, in a collegiate season, you know, you're talking week in, week out, one after another, go, 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 go. I think a lot of times as a coach, you've got to be smart enough to say, I'm not willing to to go in there and break that because I need you ready next week. Yeah. You know that that yeah. component, and even in tour play, right? They're playing week in, week out. Like a lot of these ladies and men right now are chasing that cut line, chasing that 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 card. And again, you've got to be really smart as a coach when you go in there. It's about building confidence. It's you know getting them to perform. And if they perform and they have confidence, they can overcome little things. Yeah, so yeah, definitely. I think that's probably the biggest piece I've learned. And don't ever fall for the give me one thing. If, if it looks good. And there's nothing you want to change, or you're afraid of changing something as they're leaving the event. Just, just hype them up, afraid. Yeah, yeah, I, I told, told you. I, I, told, I, told, I think I've told, I've told the story before on this. By the player I saw at the Masters one year who was doing everything just like he always has done his whole career. Aims left, comes hits the left. It's just what he does. And the first time I told him that, he couldn't make a three footer for four or five days, missed the cut. Quite horrible. So I saw him at the Masters. He says, "How's it look?" I said, "Looks unbelievable. Looks great. Keep doing what you're doing." He's, He's like, like cool. cool, and then he would finish top five, five, I think. Yeah, no. Like, I, I, hate, like, I, don't, I don't like, like doing, doing that, but, you know, what, what are you going to do with the Masters? Change their stroke? Yeah, like, come on. I always say, when you're, <laughs> when you're at the event, it, it, to me, it's going back to basics, right? So, kind of my, my philosophy when I'm with a player at an event, you know, all I'm doing at an event is making sure that their alignments are right, that they're yeah. not doing something crazy, yeah. and just, just getting them to believe. Get them to believe, get them to make putts, getting them working their speed control. Yeah, get them to believe in what they do and what, what, why they do it and just kind of reinforce that is the best thing you can do. You know, I remember we were at the U.S. Women's Open up in Pennsylvania a couple of years ago, and we saw a lady over there with a 2 by 4 and all these gadgets. Oh. Like, yeah, they're trying to find it before the tournament oh. is teed off. And we're like, you ain't got a chance. Like, you know, if you're, you're at one of the majors and you're on the putting green trying to find it, yeah. the chances are you're – it, it ain't there. there. It's, at home. it's at home somewhere. It's not there. <laughs> what was it? Ian Baker Finch. I left it on the plane. And it, <laughs> the, wheels took, the wheels went off and my game left with it. Exactly. So, uh, but I think, again, that, that concept of the touring pro, and, and I know a lot of young coaches that are listening to this that have the, the huge aspirations of being tour coaches, you know, being the, you know, the next said guy on, you know, the golf magazines and all that. It's, you know, it's a different lifestyle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's a different understanding, and again, they they come at it a lot of times from a different avenue. That's why, I, like I said, I like the the tour player reaching for it because they tend to be a little more I don't know how do you say this more a little more gracious, a little more they appreciate what you're doing. Where a lot of times, a lot of touring pros they feel like they're you're doing them they're doing you a favor by letting them you 
come and talk to oh, them. No but, question. So I think again, that's why I think my my kind of lane is I like to feed them to the tour, and then once they kind of get there, uh, you know, find you someone that can. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. As, as a putting, putting coach, it's hard because putting, putting coach is a second, second class citizen. Like, like, like they, they call us when they need us. us. We're not like the full swing coaches there week in and week out. Yeah. Like I wouldn't ever want to be that either. Um, but you know, if the full swing's not doing well, putting is the last thing they're worried about. Yeah, right. And then when they're and then when they're doing that, when they're trying to get better putting, it's usually not a long, continuous improvement process. It's usually I didn't putt well last week. Help. Yeah. And and so they come, come and take one lesson and they're like, okay, okay see you in a month or two. two. You yeah, know, that's, that's, that's really not, not ideal either. Um, but, but then again, when you go to when you go to a tournament, there's not a whole lot you can do to turn other than what you said. Make sure the fundamentals are clean, work on speed, try to get their confidence up. But you know, long-term putting development takes long-term. You know, and and if there's anything you younger, competitive, you know, juniors and college players and want to be tour players can learn is. It, it takes time, time to really, really develop your putting, and a lot of it's speed control. A lot of it is really honing down your fundamentals, and you're not going to get that from three lessons a year. It's just not going to happen, you know, unless you're really naturally gifted, which some people are, but most people aren't. The vast majority of people aren't. So you've got to keep chipping away, chipping away, chipping away at it, not just, oh, oh crap, I putted bad last week, I need a lesson. No, and I think, again, that where I also get kind of grumpy at some of the tour players that I've worked with in the past or you know, I consult with here or there is you, you've got to create a team around you because trying to do everything in golf by yourself is hard. And I, especially on the mini tours feeding in, there's not a lot of money. And for you to spend the money to have coaches, you know, it, it you know, you it's an investment. And I always tell players you have yeah. to invest because again, you know, there's no corporation on earth that had didn't have, you know, what was it, Federal Express, the guy went to Vegas or Atlantic City. They were about to go bankrupt, took what money that he had left in the bank and like tripled his money at Vegas. Really? To pay everybody off. And then right when he did that, FedEx hit and took off. But, you know, that was it. That was him investing in. He, he had a belief of what FedEx could be and will be. And, he, and he, again, he did everything he could. I think a lot of players kind of get kind of that risk averse. I, I've won. I've seen this with putting like a putter. Like I've won with this putter my whole life. Why would I change it? Well, the insert's completely worn out yeah it's crooked it's set this, different. Right. everything's like it's not a good putter anymore 10 years ago it was probably a great putter you know so so you know again having you know, and then again i always say as a coach your job is to be contrarian on occasion you yeah. know you, you you've got to make them uncomfortable um yeah, yeah good, good good players will will welcome, welcome that, that. Yep. and you, you make them comfortable some, 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 sometimes, sometimes you have, you have to tell them kind of the hard reality, reality. You, you know, know, I've had players where I've said, you might not want to hear this, but, you know, you can't compete with that, whatever that is, whether it's that read or that setup, or you just can't compete with it. And they don't always want to hear it. Some people, that would be the last sentence you ever talk to them. They're gone, right? Some are like bottle rockets. Thank you. Bye-bye. And others listen, they go, okay, I got it. And then they actually tend to be much better long-term if they can take take some positive criticism. And criticism may be not the right answer, but... The hard, the, the hard reality, reality is you can't compete, compete on tour if you have a three putt every round. You no, can't. You can't. You can't. You, you, can't. you, you might, might want to, but you can't. can't. You know, and you're making a double every round, or you know, you make not going to four compete. doubles, five doubles a tournament. You can't yeah. compete. You can't. Again, I always say, if I'm playing against Lydia Ko or I'm playing against Rory, oh, Rory might be a bad example. Um, I'm playing against uh, Bryson. Oh no, that might be another bad example. <laughs> uh, let's say I'm playing against, uh, I don't know, Patrick Cantlay, right? He's already better than me. He's like number one in the world. 
but now I'm going to give him, I'm going to make it double every round, so I'm going to give him eight extra shots. So he's already yeah. playing four. He's already eight shots ahead of me because I'm going to give you a double every right, round. Right, right. Like, you just can't survive. And I think, you know, again, having that, that conversation, and, and I think a lot of times players have the ears to listen. Some don't. You know, some will say, I have, if I could just get a better mental coach, or maybe if I could get a better pre-shot routine, you know, that would make all the difference. You know, I think a lot of times – do you have the skills and are you good enough, you know, to really, you know, I think, you know, kind of what we talked about with the LPGA, if you're, if you're not in the top 80, chances you get in the top 80 are really slim. There's a big gap there. Yep. I think having that coach that's willing to sit you down and, and, and kind of give you that, hey, here's where you are, here's where we got to go, and here's how we're going to do it. I think, to me, it's never criticism when you provide the, the outlet of how we're going to get there. I think to right. me, you know, criticism is you suck. Okay. Right. right. Which, Which we, we don't, don't ever do. do. Yeah, no. But but well, we can say, hey, you know, your piece, like the the one player that worked with us in the very beginning, where she fired us because our short game drills were too hard, and we're like, your short game is not good enough, and she washed out within that year too. Gone. Right. No. Quick off. Quick, Quick off. Yeah. Short game. Yeah. And like we we showed it to her, and she didn't have ears to listen, and that's fine. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that vote that way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's also a lot of golfers on one But but I, like I said, I think the good ones will sit. They'll listen. They might not react to the initial conversation, but they'll sit down and they'll contemplate what was discussed and they'll come back to you. I've had a many conversations where I kind of quasi got yelled at for having a hard hard talk, and then a couple of days later, I hear, okay, a lot of that makes sense. I just didn't have ears to listen right there. But now I look back. I'm going to change the way that I do X, Y, Z, and see if we can start moving that piece, which yeah. is fine. And, 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 and I, I see a lot, lot of coaches, when they first start working with tour players, players they, uh, they, they want to please them, them they want to yes them to death, death and they, they don't want to give them hard, hard, hard information, and that's, that's, that's a big mistake also. Yeah. You know, you've got to kind of learn the, you know, when is the right time to tell them something they don't want to hear. It's not all the time, but you can't just continue to not say anything because then the player's not going to get better and you're all just wasting your time spinning your wheels. Yeah, and again, I think that goes back to, it always goes back to if the player understands what they're trying to accomplish and has that has a method of what they're doing and why they're trying to get there. It's really easy to have those uncomfortable conversations. X, Y, Z is not happening. We've been putting more energy in Z. Let's go ahead and look at X and Y maybe and see how we can kind of skirt us to this point. But if you don't, I think the hardest part, and I, I would say a lot of tour players, not the elite, but a lot of the chasers and the mini tours, they just don't know what to train. Yeah, I mean, no that's doubt. the hardest part. They don't know what's good. They don't know what they need to train. They don't know what... And so, again, they go back and, you know, the, the typical training is I train what I'm good at because I'm good at it and I want to see me perform well. But I, I neglect or I don't do or I think, I, you know, I ostrich it and I put my head in the sand and think it's good enough. Well, is it? You know, and again, it goes back to that conversation. So I think a lot of times with touring players, it's, it, there's got to be – if you're going to work with a touring player, you better have data. If you're going to change something, you better know why. You better have data and you better track whether it's, whether it's working. And right. You, and you better be able to – to move out of that quickly because if it's not working, make a change before, yeah. they, before they stop, they, they what, ghost you or they uh, go on Twitter and tell you that you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I will say I've never been told, told I was fired in my life. I've had people not call anymore, anymore but, but I've never, never actually, I think, I think with a, with a swing coach, they actually have to fire them because yeah. I think they're expected to be there a lot more often. With a putting coach, coach, you're kind of there when they ask you to be there, but then they just stop asking at some point. You just don't hear from them. You're ghosted. I'm just being ghosted. My funny thing is I'm like, okay, I haven't heard from this player in a while. 
And then maybe like a month or two later, you finally hear from him and you're like, oh, the other coach wasn't working out, huh? Exactly. I've heard from you three months and then all of a sudden you come up asking questions. It's like, huh, I guess that didn't work out very well. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I know we have, uh, we're going to be speaking at the LPGA. Yep. Uh, well, we have an eight-point presentation, and then we have for senior instructors, um, and then we have that same weekend we have the LPGA. Can we give kind of a preview of what we're going to talk? We're going to try to record that too, and maybe we'll get that on. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll, we'll have that recorded. recorded. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get something, but it's uh, it's really talking about how to how to coach players at different levels. So somebody shooting in the '90s is very different than the '80s versus the '70s versus the '60s. And what I mean by that is what what you focus on. Changes. What, what's, what's the, the most important, important part of the game to focus on changes a lot as the player gets better and better. So, so contrary to public opinion, you know, focusing on putting with somebody who can't break 100 is a waste of time. Basically, it's a waste of time. Like people aren't going to like to hear that. They say start from the green and work back. You're not going to get better if you can't get off the tee. Uh, just a fact. If you're if you're hitting OB off the tee, putting is not going to change your game. So you've got to get your ball under control. Start reducing the doubles, and then at some point, putting kicks in. Short game kicks in. You know, you know, different, different things kick in, but there's a there's a spectrum of how those evolve over over the golfer's career, basically as they improve, and that's what we're going to go over. Yeah, I think that's I think it's really fascinating, and I've, I've talked about this in other podcasts. My son's taking up golf kind of right when COVID hit, so he's about a year and a half in now, all in. Play every we play nine holes to eighteen holes every weekend. Uh, practice in our yard or at the range, probably three or four days a week. And all we've done basically in a year and a half is work on striking the golf ball. Uh, you know, we talked about how to hold a putter, and we talked about some simple speed, trying to control length and time. Uh, did a little bit of aim point finally with them, starting to work on a little bit of read. But we didn't really dive into the, the putting and the short game side because, again, if, you know, if it takes you six to get to a par four, does it really matter? No, <laughs> does no, it really matter if you're if you, if you, yeah, yeah, if you have two, two three putts around versus three, three, three putts around? Yeah, you know, and I think... No, that's not, not the issue. issue. Yeah, no, so so I think what was kind of interesting is is we came up with this concept of uh, the Forging Player Series inside of Game Forge, where we take a player from shooting to 100 all the way to tour, and we defined it in a kind of seven steps. And so I, I went ahead and said, all right, son, you know, you're shooting in the hundreds. Our goal is to get you to develop a player, which is going to be shooting in the upper 80s. Um, and our goal was two years, go from 100 to upper 80s. And right now he's starting to shoot mid to low 90s. And we've really done no putting and no short game work that we're going to start to parry there because the ball strike didn't get good enough. But, it's, but again, we're like, we're not going to waste our time on that because the data that we had inside of GameForge showed that most people average two putts for the most part, a little more than two putts on the putting green. So you're, you're, once you get to the green, it's a two putt. And then so, so the concept to us was, how can we make things a little bit different? How can we shake up instruction and understanding that? And so, like I said, with my son, it's everything we've done. He's gone from, you know, we, we would go play and we'd think, all right, let's see how many bogey putts we can have in a round. And then we said, all right, now let's see how many actual par putts we have. So that's getting to the green in three. And now it's like, how many birdie putts can we create around? So every time we go out, we set a goal. Can we get three birdie putts over these next nine holes? So that means he's hit at least three greens in regulation. So we start to play these little games of opportunity. And like I said, in the past, it was, can we get one or two bogey putts? And now, literally, we go play, and now I'm like, all right, can we have four birdie opportunities per nine? 
So, you know, so that means you're hitting at least four green. Now we're at eight greens. You start getting into eight greens, you're starting to get the potential to be able to shoot in that mid to upper 80 category. So his ball striking is actually getting them there now. Mm -hmm. So now that's why me as a coach, I'm going to have to parry out of that and go into putting and short game, which is what I like to teach. So it'll be much easier. It'll be a little faster. And uh, I think we can make, we can close that gap a lot quicker. Um, full swing, I haven't taught forever, so this has been a challenge in itself. But, but again, I think understanding that. So if you're a high handicap player um, and you're working with high handicap players, it's get the ball, can I get the ball off the ground? And can I kind of control it within reason? You know, a certain dispersion, you know, or a certain, can I control a lot of its carry distances? Once they start to control that, now we're going to start applying layers because yeah. there's a lot of great programs out there that, that start green and work out. And I understand the fundamentals of what they're trying to teach you, but I don't think that helps the player per se to become a better golfer. Not, Not if you're making doubles, doubles off the tee. No. Again, yeah. you know, if you can't get to the green and. Less, less than, than far. Yeah. You know? And so, so, yeah, so, yeah, so a lot of what we're talking about is just how fast can you get to the green. I mean, I mean in the, the beginning, that's it. it. Yeah. Just minimize your strokes to the green, and it starts off as, you know, par value gets the green and par, then par minus one, then ultimately par minus two. And then at some point, though, that's where your short game putting kick in. Yeah, once you start getting par minus one and par minus two values around the green, so you're getting to the green, or being able to get on the green, you know, with your short game shot, your P6 opportunity. Once you have those opportunities, now you can play golf. And I, my son looked at me the other day, it finally clicked for him ball striking wise. And we finished, we're like on the eighth hole and he's talking about beating me now. And I'm like, yeah, he's still got a little bit. <laughs> uh, but, but, he, but he's setting that. Smack talk. talk yeah, oh, I smack talk so much. So uh, he'll be tough or I'll break him, one of the two. Uh, <laughs> but, but, he'll, but he kind of looked at me, he goes, golf is so much more fun now. Like, he's like, I'm having fun because now I'm hitting it far enough. And I'm, Approach it. Now I'm playing golf. I'm hitting it close enough. I'm getting around the green. I have par. I, you know, it was hard for a lot of months when you know he's walking away seven to eight. Yeah. And I'm an okay golfer. I'm a single digit, low handicap guy. And, and Dad's sitting over here making a bunch of pars, a couple birdies, a couple bogeys. You know, and like showing that like this is what the game kind of looks like. And that that so now he's in his mind. He thinks he's going to be. Not there yet, but he's, he's, getting, he's getting close. He's beating, the day will come. he's beating me in small segments. Like he'll he'll beat me on a hole or two, and we'll play match play stuff and and things like that. He'll beat me on holes or pieces. So it's it's my day. My reign is run, coming to an end. Probably probably this time next year will be a completely different conversation. Yeah, no doubt. He said he wants Mark. He said he wanted a piece of Mark right now. Oh, he's gonna take both of us on next time. So, uh, but again, I think that concept. And if and if you are a Game Forge member. And you're listening to this. We do have our video um, uh, channel, Fuel, which is videos at mygameforge.com. Um, as of right now, we have the actual entire Forging Player series yep. over there that shows you at what levels, what's important, what you should be training, and kind of defining what those components are. It's free right now. It's changing very soon to a paid playlist. But if you are a Game Forge member, you're a coach. You're listening to this. You better go into you know my yeah. to our video page. Videos.mygameforge.com. If you're in the menu, it's on the left side of the menu. It'll be called Fuel Videos. Yep. And then so, uh, well, well worth watching. Log in with your GameForge pass. Uh, your login stuff. It's free. If you go to the GameForge channel, uh, or I think it's GameForge members channel, and all that stuff sitting in there right now, free. And like I said, that's getting ready to flip over behind a paywall. But uh, I would encourage you if you listen to this 
to go watch that. And again, it, it takes you, like I said, kind of our layers are a learning player, which is basically shooting in the hundreds. We have an emerging player, emerging being we're getting ready to break 90, getting kind of that 90 number, getting ready to break through. Developing player, upper 80s. Proficient player, upper, I mean lower 80s. Advanced player is breaking 80. Um, elite player is getting, you know, single digit to scratch player. And then we have tour player right behind that at averaging roughly one and a half, two under. A little, little under, averaging under par. So yeah. you can kind of see that there's a, a gradual curve. And the fascinating piece is greens are changing and you can actually kind of show strengths and weaknesses of, so again, kind of the big thing that we're gonna be talking about the LPGA is if you have five people come to your tee box over the next six hours and you're teaching them, what do I work on? And what does that look like? Well, what level are they? What are their aspirations? And what are the components that you can fix today to get them better? You know, to, to actually, actually move their score. score. Yeah. Opposed to, you know, I'm a swing nut and I only like to teach full swing, which might be great, but if they're maximizing full swing, for the level they're in, but they have an anchor sitting over here that might be short game or putting, kind of like my son right now, his anchor is short game and putting. You know, we're starting to make that change and in, in inside of instruction to kind of, you know, go match that need where before, you know, we would talk about it, we have a putting green in our basement and we putt and do little things, but instruction is not a big component of it. So, you know, so I'm putting, I'm putting my son's future progress into what I believe works. And it's actually worked out really well for me. Cool. I'm actually, actually, actually making it better. better. Yeah, miracle. It's crazy. Miracle. miracle. <laughs> In this game of golf, that's that's few and far between by looking at the data. Uh, let's see. Anything else? No, no. I think that's. Uh, well, I think a lot more to talk about, talk about after the next couple presentations. presentations. Yeah. Because um, we always get great questions and great insight uh, after getting in front of a group of people and, and talking it through. Yeah, we have some cool stuff coming. Um, Inside of Gameforge, uh, here in the next soon, know, very soon, we're gonna have some live scoring opportunities. I'm really pushed by a lot of college coaches to run qualifying, and then you, as a junior coach, if you wanted to run some some stuff at your club, you could definitely use that as a as a inside of the platform. Um, so we have live scoring coming. Uh, we have uh, another around in one picture, which is something that we've talked very about cool. forever. It's gonna yeah. be really cool. Uh, that that should be coming after live scoring, and then we have some skunk work stuff that will be coming right around Christmas time, and then springtime we have another huge some more, more skunk work skunk work build. <laughs> um, we also have some assessment components coming inside of game yeah, boards. Those would be great. Um, again, just trying to provide that bridge and get you better. So uh, I want to thank everybody for taking your time and listening to us uh, ramble on today, and. We look forward to bringing you more uh, in the hunt in the future. Yeah, thank thank you. you. All right, thank you. This has been a Fuel production.